Dispatch Boy. Overlooking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios. Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, a show where two cops talk to the community. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly. And we have an amazing show today. We have a national celebrity, basically, uh, Lori Beth Morales. It's a tragic story. It started as a love story and ended in the murder of her two children. Uh, as sad as this is, as tragic, as horrific, her journey to survival and helping others through her clinical work is amazing and inspirational. This is going to be an amazing story. It's going to go into cop talk. Then we're going to bring in a victim advocate to talk about helping others through the legal system. Then we, our last segment, we're going to have stupid suspect stories. It's a little different. And then, of course, Jason's inspirational close. So stay tuned, stay informed, and most of all, you're going to be entertained. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. You know, it's absolutely my great pleasure and honor to introduce an astonishing woman and brilliant, uh, someone who you may have heard of in the national headlines um, and what she's doing across the country, helping those through the most unimaginable trauma. Lori Beth Morales has an unusual insight into death and healing. Someone who has experienced the most massive trauma, death of her two sons, and as a licensed clinical therapist specializing in grief, trauma, and sudden death. She has a uh, psychotherapy practice in Scottsdale, Arizona, founded the Scottsdale Center for Palliative Counseling, and is a preferred provider for the states of Arizona and Colorado in providing trauma therapy. Lori Beth also serves as a resource for members of Parents of Murdered Children, an organization that I've become very close with, uh, working with affected families, and it's a resource for parents of Murdered Children, like I said, uh, to include the 2017 Las Vegas Strip Massacre and the Parkland, Florida High School shooting. Wow. Uh, she obtained her bachelor's degree in psychology and master with social work from Arizona State University and is a national certificate in treating addictions. Since deciding to tell her story publicly, which you're going to be blown away, she has appeared on Dr. Phil and a top-ranking mental health podcast called Psych Sessions. And her books, Bulletproof, which I'm reading right now, is riveting. And Labyrinth of Loss are rapidly becoming a national bestseller. So it's my absolute pleasure and I am honored and I'm humbled in your presence, Lori Beth. Thank you for bringing on our show. Thank you for having me. Good morning. 
Uh, it's a great morning because you're here. Um, and I can only imagine uh, your patients have to feel that way every time they talk to you. Just in the, uh, the moments before the show, Jason and I were talking, and we, we almost didn't start the show because we just kept wanting to talk to her. Right, yeah. I, we were both like, hey, we probably should get started. But yeah, you could. You could she, her, her aura, her Amazing, isn't personality it? is like, man, I just want to talk with her I, I completely forgot we should probably actually do this on tape <laughs> yeah robin had rob our rock and robin yeah. had to keep hitting yeah, us in the back of the head go, get boys. going guys let's go boys come on bad boys bad boys <laughs> but so Lori beth awkward segue tell us about this this the worst of the worst you had this beautiful love story of a marriage and then and I, i'm i'm in the beginning chapters of your book but it sounds like it was beautiful and then something went bad and then it just went horrific beyond imagination. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Sure. Um, this was a love story. Um, I had met, uh, his name is Andre. I had met him, um, finished my graduate work, and um, began working with the Regional Behavioral Health Authority um, and continued my career um, overseeing 23 mental health clinics. and. I had this dream, as many of us do, of becoming a parent. And um, we tried and tried, and um, I had some infertility. But miraculously, we were uh, pregnant with twins, twin girls. And life was great. Um, He was my best friend. Um, And six months into the pregnancy, my twin girls were falling out of me. Uh, and they couldn't be saved. And so I needed to decide whose life to choose, uh, mine or theirs. And so it was, it was devastating that I needed to deliver the babies, um, my two girls. And six months after, when I was finished licking my wounds, whatever that looked like, I was diagnosed with uh, blood cancer, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, my God. Um, And I thought, and I remember saying to myself, God, you're just, if you're trying to kill me, do it now, because this is a slow death. Torture. Um, The two biggest fears that most people have is either cancer or the death of their kids. And I had both of them within six months. So I have a a very strong um, pilot light, um, as I I call it, and I picked myself up, and I remember putting my hair in pigtails and saying, okay, let's do this, because there's there's a choice to live or to not. That's the only choice. It's not about courage. And so I went through chemotherapy and surgery and radiation, and I— Completed that and was ready to have children again, to pursue this beautiful dream that was alive inside of me. Um, However, I wasn't able to get pregnant because my body was attacking any fast-growing cells, um, whether it's fetal cells or cancer cells. And so we had a surrogate carry our baby for us. It was my eggs and my husband's sperm. We found this beautiful, beautiful woman in New Mexico, Tracy. 
And that was my Alec. And oh. Alec uh, has orange hair, and um, he was always complimented on his orange hair. People would say, your hair is so beautiful and red. And he would say, thank you, but it's orange. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and that was my Gingy. And life was beautiful, um, so I thought. Um, and However, one time I came home about two years after Alec's birth, and Andre had said, I need to talk to you about something. And I knew that Alec was okay because he was sitting in his room playing. And he had revealed that when I was um, at my conference that he um, hired an escort to come to our house. And during when he was doing that, he ended up crashing the car when he was bringing her back to our house. Um, and that was his plan to have this escapade um, was blown up. And I needed to decide whether I wanted to stay in this marriage or not. And I believe that we don't pick and choose how our loved ones make mistakes, if we call them that, how they live. And that I needed to pay attention to what he was willing to do with this, with this injury um, within himself and what that was about and how he was going to show up and repair the injury to this family. So we spent about 18 months in couples counseling, really working on um, bringing us back together and this concept of forgiveness, um, which I'd be more than willing to talk about later on if we have time. And life was great. I started, however, not to feel well physically. And I thought, oh my gosh, the cancer has come back. I have my relationship back. I have my beautiful Alec. And I'm going to die. It came back. So I went to the doctor, and they said, you're pregnant. <laughs> From tragedy to miracle. <laughs> it, it's, I asked her, do you know if this is my ultrasound? Because this couldn't possibly be my body. You got the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, definitely the wrong person. And that was Asher. And Asher was this eight-and-a-half-pound big, fat baby that came out of me. I don't know how. Um, and life was amazing. And Andre was amazing. This is a man who went fishing with the boys and taught me how to put on a diaper and um, shepherded me through cancer. And one night after the boys were asleep, I don't know why, because I've asked him so many times, but I looked at him and I asked him the question, I think that there were more than this one escort. And he paused and then he said, you're right. And at that moment in time, my world blew up again. It exploded. And I just wanted to go to sleep. In the morning, when we woke, he 
was in the kitchen, and he looked at me, and he said, you're right. It was 27. Oh, my God. And I said, 27 what? And he replied, 27 escorts. I had no idea where this was going on, what this was all about. And I just wanted my space. I really needed to look at, now I have two babies and a dream that I thought I um, had come upon was destroyed. So about three weeks later, I turned to Andre and announced that I no longer wanted to be his partner. Not that way, that we could co-parent, we could love these beautiful boys that we both love and have our dream. Um, And it could be better than it was. But having me as a wife was not going to be the option because I had fought for my, my health with cancer and with surviving the death of my twin girls. And I wasn't willing to engage in this anymore. Approximately six weeks after that, and he decided to take a very um, adversarial disposition that if he couldn't have me, then no one else could. And that if I was going to not want him, then he was going to take away the only thing, the only people that really mattered, which were my children. That's all that mattered. And on March 31st, 2010, um, he murdered the children in our residence. I'm at loss of words. I'm everything I can I, do not to cry. I, so you're talking about a man who loved his children. He was a good father at first. Took the boys out to do Seemingly. stuff. Yes. And his desire to hurt you because of choices that he had made. Not necessarily mistakes. That's correct. Neither here nor there. Choices that he made outside of your marriage. He was willing to take the lives of boys that he loved and showed affection to and spent time with simply in order to hurt you. Yes. Were you were you at work at the time? Were you out of town at the time? How what like when you I I have three children. I, mm-hmm. This is we're we're talking on a level here that I I can't even pretend. Can't wrap your head around. Right. No, there's there, no. there's no way. So his main objective was to hurt you. Well, so how did he? And you don't need to go into the details of the death of your children. But I'm saying where where were you? How did he plan this? And what? Why was it March 31st of 2010? I'm not sure why he chose March 31st. Um, I, from my understanding, that he had premeditated um, their murder, and he actually had written a letter. It was a, supposed to be a suicide homicide situation um, where he actually, um, in, in, it's such a, a malignant and sinister thought, but he had Alec sign the suicide letter. And Alec 
just started to learn how to write. Um, so this came out in the trial. You know, Jason, out of the 50 things that, could, that I could have imagined what would have happened after a divorce, what someone would have done, this would not be a hundred. This would, most of us don't have a receptor to even have this thought of, I'll kill the children. And I always like to remind myself and my, the people who I work with that his thinking was and is none of my business. I can't call for the operation of his mind. Everyone could make suppositions about it. I don't have a receptor to understand how anyone could think that and act on it. You know what I like to do is talk about you for a moment. Having lost a child, it's everything I can do just not to, to break down hearing your story. I can't imagine how you lived through this. Can you talk a little bit about you and how you survived this that fog that you went through the surrealness of losing everything can you talk about that and where you're at now today because you're doing amazing work thank you well um that's that's the million dollar question of how did i survive this Um, because the the only worst day than march 31st was April 1st, and waking up and it not being a, a dream, that I was waking up to a nightmare. And that was the day that I was going to wake up and make lunches and take my kids to school. And the only thing that I had to do was to e- delete everything Everything was deleted in my life. It's as if the moment that I had heard when the police officer told me that Alec was killed. And then I asked, what about Asher? And he said, Asher was killed too. There isn't anything left. My world was blown up. And... I didn't have a home because I couldn't go back to the place where they were murdered. I didn't have my children. I didn't even have a a purpose. People like me, and I started to think about this, am I a mom now that my kids have died? You know, in in, in any dictionary that I've looked up in any language, there isn't a word for me. When, when your spouse or significant other dies, you're a widow. Or when your parents die or you don't have parents, you might be called an orphan. But there is no word in any dictionary for a parent who has lost a child. And I didn't know whether I was a mother or not. When my planet blew up, it's as if I had, I, I like to say, 
it feels as if I had third-degree emotional skins, as if my skin was stripped from me, and I did not have that protectorant any longer in any way. And I had to live here, and I had to deal with, what do I do with them? Do I cremate them? Do I bury them? And then I had a trial that was waiting for me because he attempted to kill himself. However, he shot himself in the mouth and I guess blew off part of his cheek, but his brain was intact and he was alive, mentally all there. And I had to face a murder trial. And the, the media, and, and this became national. Yes. Um, I can't even imagine. This is like a nightmare beyond nightmare. There, this, like you said, there's no words in the dictionary that could even explain what you're feeling and what you're going to go through. Mm. But at some point, you're, maybe just because you're incredible, um, incredible spirit, you're able to survive this. Um, you end up writing a book. What was the most cathartic aspect of this journey? Was it the book? Was it friendship? What helped you survive? Or was this internal? Well, you know, what, what helped me in those, in those um, initial days after my planet blew up, and I ended up in this place, I call it Antarctica, where I don't have an identity, I don't have a direction, um, and these big, huge feelings of grief um, and fear and anger were consuming me. Um, there were a few people in my life who really helped protect me and um, said, you come stand here, you do this. Um, one of them, of course, um, he was my boyfriend at the time, but now he's my husband, Aww, Alejandro. Thank you. He's a lucky man. <laughs> Thank you. And um, his two daughters, who I call my daughters now, Aww. who loved on me, they were... Um, they actually played with Alec and Asher. Um, they were five and three. Um, and my mom and dad, but also Randy Udelman, um, who was a complete stranger to me. Uh, Randy, Randy's children went to the same preschool, um, Silo Preschool. And he came out of nowhere um, as a victim's advocate, as an attorney, um, for victims' rights, and he said, "She's, I got to take care of her. I, ha- I have to protect this woman," and um, and and he did. Um, so those were the initial stages. I just had something to say, and I had to get it out of me. And it took a long time for me to be able to think. And there were days where I would sit and think about what happened and what does this mean and where do I go? What now? And I went to a couple of therapists and they looked at me and one just cried and the other one (sighs) gave me that look. And you know that look. Everyone knows that look who's experienced trauma where there's, there's grief and then there's complicated grief and then there's this. And we don't know what to do with Off the charts. This. Yeah. Off the charts. We don't know what to do with you or with this. And so I turned to my, my best friend and 
And I, I turned to myself and I said, look, we're either going to die here or get out of it. But it's up to us to get out of this, whatever this is. And it wasn't this place out here. It was the prison of my mind. But he was behind bars, but I was the prisoner in this reality. And I needed to, to shift this reality or else I was going to die here. I was going to be murdered myself, not, not physically, um, but from my thoughts, from the story that was born after the murder of the children. This bear beyond survival. Yes. This is a good place for us to take a break um, because now, after this commercial break, we're going to talk about that survival and what you're doing now, which is amazing, helping people in the book. And I'm, like I said, I'm reading the book. It's amazing journey. And I, then we're going to also talk to Randy. We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. I'll never forget, never forget that moment. As long as, as long as I live. My first call ever as a member of the National Guard. When we got to the armory, they briefed us on the wildfires. They were getting dangerously close to homes. Helicopters were going out to drop water on the fires. Guys in the unit were preparing for fire fighting with local fire crews. At that moment, I got my first taste of just how important the Guard is to my community. See how the Guard can be an important part of your life at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. Welcome back to Batch Boys, everybody. I find myself to be in a pretty emotional state, loss of words, after listening to Lori Beth for the past 20-something minutes. Uh, this is an unimaginable tragedy and adversity that I cannot pretend to relate to or even fathom. As we mentioned, there are doctors that she dealt with that, hey, this was not in any of our books. This was not in, Off the charts. in our training. And... But now we're going to move into, you know, and this is something I often talk about. There is life before, and then there is life after. It's not about moving on necessarily because all of us can relate to there's something in life where, you know what, we liked life how it was before. We're, we're not really interested in uh, the sun coming out tomorrow. We're not interested in somebody's just, hey, be strong, go get them, that, that a lot of times doesn't work. But if you choose, you move forward with what's happened and it can propel you to something. And clearly, Lori Beth, you, after all these years, there's a reason she's on the show today. She has written a couple of books and she is continuing to help people. She is remarried mm -hmm. and giving her experience and her love and making somebody else's life better, which is why we're here. The uplifting is, is part. to make the day better than you found it, to make the world better than you found it. Yes. And, and she's doing the, that. Her, her world, in a lot of ways, is not better than the way she 
she wanted it or she found it, but she's making something of it. So I'm, I'm really excited to get into this part of it. And Lori, I have to tell you that just your, your soul, your spirit, your, the way you are able to, to speak with such a, you know, you can immediately, Darren, I think you understand when I say this, character in another person, the, the, the spirit, it's an instant I can't hug her thing. enough. And I wish this, <laughs> this is, and not to take away from any of our other, other episodes in a year, no. this is the one wow. episode I would give anything if we were on video, if, we, if this was something you could watch because Lori's one of the most beautiful souls and I'm sitting three feet away from her right now and I'm so deeply impacted. So let's get into, it's, it's hard to segue into Hey, let's talk about the positive uplifting part of her there, journey. There is. Yeah. And where where are where is she now and what is she doing? And this is gonna help. Please, all of you out there, pay attention to what this woman is about to say. If she can survive. You, well, yeah, and, and everybody's going through something. Sure. And you're about to hear from somebody who went through something that realistically none of us are gonna go through. Thank so heavens. Let's yes, and let's be grateful. And let's be respectful of that. But how can we apply it to what we're going through? So let's hear the journey out of the abyss. Okay. So all of us, we didn't choose life initially. Actually, someone chose it for us, our mothers, our fathers. Um, it, was, it came from some, someone else's behavior that we are here, that we were created. And everyone will experience um, grief and pain, um, it will find us all. It's part of the human condition, and we can't outrun it. Um, but there's a very important point, a moment, that every one of us has or will encounter where we need to choose life or not. And that's a very personal decision. And there is timing involved in that. Um, because if someone, and there are a lot of cheerleaders who say, come on, you can do it, choose life, choose life. And it's scary for them to be thinking maybe they won't choose life. Maybe they'll just crumble up into a ball or become a depressed, angry person or just give up and not choose life. And that's really scary. But all of us, all of us have that power to either choose life or not. And and in a way, there is some courage to that because we, we don't know what's, what lies ahead, nor do we have to. I'm glad that we don't know what, what lies ahead of us. I'm glad that I didn't if I had known how this was going to unfold. But just because we make a decision doesn't mean that we just all of a sudden up and move. There's a process that, that goes on. Um, about learning how to trust yourself and to trust this beautiful place, this current that's there. Um, that actually I don't even need to create my life. It's just created for me. My job is to show up. And so that's what I do with my patients, with anyone who asks me to share or to speak. And that's where my books came from. That I'm so grateful for everything, everything that... I've been given, and I generously give it away. And that's what I do every morning. So when someone calls me and says, I'm in pain, my mom died, my children 
went away to college and don't talk to me anymore, um, or I'm getting a divorce, wherever their pain comes from, then I'm here, my world stops and I listen, and I see myself as a guide. I, I know this journey. I, I, I've been told that I won the suffering sweepstakes, which I don't particularly see myself as a victim. Um, Good for I'm, you. I'm not. Um, I've been injured. Survivor. Yeah, I am a survivor. Um, Being a victim is a choice. Yes, it is. It is. It's, 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 and, and it keeps us stuck in the past. Mm-hmm. It keeps the trauma replaying um, and re-victimizing us. In writing the book, mm-hmm. when you wrote that, did it, was it a cathartic journey? Was it more for other people than yourself? Tell me about that journey of writing the book itself, and then tell us how we can get that book. Okay. Uh, well, I, as I said, I had something to say, and it took me about five years to write the book because the book was writing itself inside of me. Um, and I started to write, and I've never seen myself as a writer, um, but I started to write, and I got to about page 71, and I pushed delete. I just erased the whole thing. And I called, I called my, my friend, Mariam, and I, I said, I have writer's block. I, I'm, I'm stuck. And I explained to her that I was trying so hard to get this out, and I wanted to share this message with people, and I wanted to make sure that they heard it. And she said, Laurie, just say what you have to say. Don't worry about us. Just tell us what you want to tell us. And it came out of me. And some days I would write four pages or five pages. And some days, because of, I, of the experience and I needed to experience in order to get it out, I could write two sentences and then just allow myself to feel those sentences and how do we get this book? Where's Two books. <laughs> Good point. We're going to get to the second one. Yes. Well, um, you can get both books. Um, they're available at Barnes & Noble. Um, you can get them online as well. I got mine on through Amazon. Through Amazon. Yeah. Yes. And, so, and Jason perfectly said two books. Tell us about, and you, I love what you refer to it as, mm-hmm. in, as far as the crumbs. Tell us about the second book. The second book uh, I wrote last year, it's called The Labyrinth of Loss. And when we look, when we think of grief, the, the scariest thing about grief and loss and trauma is the belief that I'm always going to feel this way. I'm, I'm not going to be able to escape it. And most people believe that the scariest thing for humans is to die. And it's not. Death is, is, is not painful. We, we experience death actually dying every, every night. You know, we close yeah. our eyes, we go to sleep, and we just slip away. But what's painful, what's the scariest thing for humans is the fear of no longer being able to feel happy and joy and having that life that you want, that dream, that you couldn't get it again. And if you did possibly get it, it would disappear. And life after trauma, it's not the same life, and we can't live the same life, because it's not, and it's painful to try to. But we can live a new life, a different life. So Labyrinth of Loss, um, in order to get 
through grief and recover from it like a labyrinth, which is confusing and um, very scary. Um, It feels um, disorganized. In order to get out, get to the center, we need to go in. And we need to go inside our minds, inside the story, the beliefs that are holding this grief together and deconstruct it. Beliefs such as, I'm somehow responsible for the death of my kids because my mother, my job as a mother is to protect them. Or if only I would have, if only he would have, what's going to happen to me now? Big beliefs. I'm not safe. That's what we need to learn. So the labyrinth of loss are these breadcrumbs, this framework that I present to the country um, that's complementary to Dr. Kubler-Roth of how we are going to recover and process grief because she told us how we were going to feel but not what now, how to get out of it, where do we go. What to expect, but how do we move forward? Right. And talking about moving forward, tell me about your uh, meeting with Randy. Hmm. Well, Randy claimed me. And, um, and I just like to say it was a spiritual marriage, but Aww. Randy claimed me and said, I'm going to, I'm, I'm yours. And he gave himself so selflessly. He was at every hearing. He was there to cry with me. He was there to do whatever was necessary. And, um, Randy was the one who advocated for my rights as a victim And Maricopa County has a a wonderful program for victims, victim compensation. Mm -hmm. Um, I I love Maricopa County in the state of Arizona um, for how they they cared for me as a victim of a crime, a victim of a crime. Um, But certainly, my journey is different because of Randy Udelman. And for those listening audience, Randy is an attorney who volunteers his time with a nonprofit group. And Randy, I'm going to put you on the spot, my friend. I'm sorry. Um, Tell us how you heard about the case and how you got involved, my friend. Uh, Thank you for having me today here to uh, talk about Lori's journey and uh, the process itself. Uh, I I have to tell you that um, I receive word when, when my kids are at the same preschool as Lori's kids were about this loss and and by the time uh, I heard about this I had been involved as an attorney doing victim rights work already and and it it seemed clear that we could do whatever we can to help Lori through this loss and Lori's parents uh, deal with a a tragedy like this Uh, no no parent should ever have to experience such a tragedy and no person ever asks to be uh, put through the criminal justice system. There's so many unanswered questions. Now that there's a crime that has occurred, what happens next? What am I supposed to do? Where do I sit? Uh, what am I supposed to say? How do I act? These are questions that nobody ever, as a victim of a crime, has asked to be put through and, and experience that uh, they've never asked to be put through. And my job uh, for Lori's case and other people that have similar experiences, is to help make that process efficient. 
I can never take away somebody's grief. That's not my job. I, I wish I could, because if I could, then, then uh, the, the criminal justice system and the process of obtaining punishment for a crime would be much easier for people. But what I can do is at least help somebody take them by the hand and work, them, uh, or work with them so that they understand the process. Uh, and that's, unfortunately, all I can do. I, I, I'd like to share, if, please, if I may, please. Uh, something when, when I heard this at sentencing, I realized Lori is going to be a phenomenal uh, person to help as a trauma therapist for others. Uh, when I heard and I was present at sentencing. This is not an easy case at all. We sat through every day of trial. Uh, we sat through all the pretrial conferences, and it, it's not a case that, that went to trial in, in a 60-minute session. It's not one of those TV trials that you hear about. When sentencing came along and, and Lori had an opportunity to give what's called a victim impact statement, uh, what I heard Lori say, and she means it when she said it, is that I refuse, she, she turned to the defendant and said, I refuse to let you take away my happiness. And to this day, Lori's actually led the life that didn't take away her happiness. And, and how you bottle that up and present that lesson to other people, it certainly is, uh, makes for a terrific career as a trauma therapist. And we're happy you're, you're doing that, Lori. Truly inspirational. When I first met Lori, you would never know you went through living hell. The, the love, the spirit, your, your smile is contagious. You're just an amazing person. For someone out there now listening, or maybe two degrees separated, that has had something horrific, as we all do. We all have adversities. But something to a level of losing a child. What would you tell them in that fog to help guide them into the light? What would you say to them? I would say, I see you because I am you. And I am no different than you. The details are different, but the journey from your, your world exploding to this place we call home, that we made it back home, um, we've arrived at this, this new life, um, it is possible not because there's anything special about me. This is, is the force of life that is within all of us. And um, it's our job and it's work to clear that interference, the wreckage. And our goal is to separate the trauma from ourself and from the people who have passed on. So today, I live my life with chronic pain, not in chronic pain. And sometimes it flares up, sometimes it doesn't. And you don't notice it because I hold my trauma on the inside. But I live my life not separate from my children. Um, I live my life with my children. It's a different relationship, though. It's a spiritual relationship. It's not a physical relationship. I love that. When people ask me how many children I have, and it happens, you know, it could yes. be at the barber shop, it could be, you know, yes. in the grocery store, and I always say I have two children. Yes. Always. Yes. Um, you are amazing. Uh, you just really are. 
And I do want to, I know I'm going to put Randy on the spot. I apologize, Randy, because he didn't want any part of him. It's all about her, and that's true. But tell us about the nonprofit, please. Um, the Arizona Crime Victim Rights Law Group provides uh, lawyers to victims of crime at no cost to them. And um, I, I can get back to Lori for a second. There are folks that we represent uh, that need a gentle nudge on how they find their way to deal with grief and loss and, and, and trauma. And uh, Lori's an exceptional counselor that provides help for those folks. And I can attest to her competency, qualifications, and uh, experiences as a therapist as a result. We regularly uh, refer folks to Lori and, and have seen nothing but positive outcomes. Randy, I love what you said a little while ago. It's not about making something easy. It's not about taking something away or, or hiding it or masking it. You said the word efficient. And no matter what you go through, something is unimaginably traumatic as what Lori has gone through. When you do something with intent and with purpose and it carves the path, then there is something on the other side. And today has been a great example for both of you. So I would encourage everybody out there who is going through something to, to take note of who you are, who you work with, and the help that, that people can receive at no charge. For when you are a victim, sometimes you just don't have the capability or the sustainability for something that's going to take a long process so i appreciate your your candor and the words you use really put things into to perspective and so i i thank you immensely for that in closing again uh Lori beth's book bulletproof please read it uh, it's amazing if not for yourself or someone close to you uh, that is grieving it will help and to that end the labyrinth of loss another wonderful wonderful book that it's truly like a guide it's a guide and then randy the website for the nonprofit, sir um it's azvictimrights.org fantastic and please join us for our last segment more stories inside guests and true blue humor coming up on batch boys We'll be back right after this. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. I'll never forget, never forget that moment. As long as, as long as I live. My first call ever as a member of the National Guard. When we got to the armory, they briefed us on the wildfires. They were getting dangerously close to homes. Helicopters were going out to drop water on the fires. Guys in the unit were preparing for firefighting with local fire crews. At that moment, I got my first taste of just how important the Guard is to my community. See how the Guard can be an important part of your life at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. Wow, I loved, as much as I loved Lori Beth and hearing her horrific story and the inspirational journey that she took to help others and then have Randy, this lawyer. And I have so many lawyer jokes, but I love Randy. Oh my I God, the guy's unbelievable. Him. And he, he, he's doing the right thing. Oh my gosh. This and is not ambulance chasing. This is not 
messing with people's lives. This guy is making truly, people truly, better. Truly cares. Yes. Yes. Uh, his, again, one more time, his uh, website for that nonprofit is azvictimrights.org. A-Z-V-I-C-T-I-M-R-I-G-H-T-S dot org. And you can also reach him directly at 480-946-0832. I tell you, um, that was amazing. And as much as, I don't know how you can improve on the heroism that she showed not just surviving this ordeal, but then helping others. So your heroic headline is, um, gosh, I don't know, buddy. It's going to be it's going to be difficult. Well, and as we have talked about in the past, one of our uh, probably my favorite dynamic is we come in here to the studio unknowing what we're going to face, and then we feed off of that, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I cannot top. <laughs> no, who can? Uh, she is one of the most heroic people, truly, in truly. the world. Uh, and I had I had planned since last week to talk about uh, something completely different, something that I think is important. And you know what? I'm just going to stick with that. And it's off topic of what she went through. However, it does have to do with children and the loss of children. And I want to give a shout out to an area high school in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, that uh, I'm sure there are a few other high schools, but this story was highlighted. They had a report of a student making threats uh, to do a school shooting, and when they investigated these threats, they were credible. They went to the student's home. They found weapons. There were police officers who rode on the buses. The ultimate outcome was this particular high school has employed metal detectors for students getting into the schools and i have long said i'm a big advocate for there's 10 things we could talk talk about with school shootings the why and the where and the when and the how one thing that can't be denied is they take place and you know another one is is coming i'm going to get on an airplane tomorrow to travel and guess what i have to go through a metal detector. There is a TSA. There is a Homeland Defense. And I wish that the country had a uniform policy on schools because all that matters right now is protecting our children. And this school has done that. And it's not inconvenient. It's not anything inappropriate. It keeps our children safe. And I want to give a shout out to them and to the other high schools who are doing it. And I hope that the tens of thousands of schools across this country will follow suit and they are my personal heroes this week because all that matters is keeping our children safe. Yeah, that is, uh, for lack of a better word, government doing the right thing. You know, when it, and the reason I'm using government because I'm going to try and do an awkward segue into my stupid suspect story, which is a stupid politician story. Oh. Um, that is schools doing the right thing, keeping our children safe. I'm going to go to this headline, New York reform laws, so-called reform laws, force prosecutors to give victims names and contact info to criminals. That's the headline of this what? story. Yes, it gets, it gets worse. Albany, New York, under New York's so-called justice reforms, I use air quotes for that, criminals must be provided with the names and contact information of victims and witnesses involved in cases against them. Talk about re-victimization. Uh, this is effective January 1st, 2020 in New York. And by the way, in a couple other states, uh, similar laws have been enacted. Prosecutors will now have just 15 days from the time of arraignment. And I know uh, Jason gets this as well as I do. 15 days is not a long enough time 
time to do anything in terms of all the evidence pertaining to the case, including the victim and witness information given to the defendant, the criminal. It gets worse. Cases can be dismissed if the prosecutors fail to meet that deadline. That sounds like injustice reform to me. Uh, under the law change, the court can also require crime scenes to remain unchanged so that defendants can be allowed to visit them. Think about that for a second. A victim's home where a woman was brutalized, she has to keep it the way it was brutalized so that he can come and... Back to the scene of the crime. Oh, hell no. It's insane. Staten Island District Attorney Michael uh, McMahon has been speaking out against this injustice. Good for him. He, he talked about a myriad of problems that sweeping changes will have throughout the state since they were passed back in April. Quote, we will undoubtedly see a chilling effect on cooperation by those impacted by crime, choosing instead to protect their own privacy and avoiding being re-victimized. Well said, sir. Uh, he continues... While there certainly was room to improve New York's criminal justice system, there's always room to um, improve things, sure. Um, But the Governor Cuomo blew past any semblance of fairness or justice, end quote. Uh, He know that aspects of the law changes are essentially impossible to comply with, such as mandated turnover of DNA and toxicology resources that that results that won't possibly be done in 15 days. It's almost like they created an empowering criminal system so that criminals can be the charges can be dismissed and empowers criminals to get the victims names uh new york governor andrew cuomo not a big fan right now i'll be honest with you his spokesperson what a dubious job that must be jason conwell said quote we carefully considered (laughs) the views of law enforcement you carefully considered jack squat thank you no you didn't consider law enforcement they say that that's code for we didn't care and we weren't listening and law enforcement weren't part of the evaluation of this bill again quote we carefully considered the view of law enforcement no you didn't to ensure we enacted balanced reforms that were long overdue and will bring greater fairness to new york's criminal justice no you brought injustice to the victims and you empowered the criminals and now for the stupid suspect joke insult on injury this is where it gets really bad you ready for this and there's a lot of things under the new laws the uh the bail cannot be set and they get out these are people that will have no bail they are simply signing a ticket and the crimes like stalking arson, resisting arrest, money laundering in support of terrorism, rioting, vehicular assault, unlawful imprisonment, negligent homicide. And for me, what kills me is criminal offenses against children, including child abuse, promotion of child prostitution, facilitating female genital mutilation. That's an actual thing. They will get out. This is horrible. And add insult to injury, the comical insult to this injury, the city of New York has even lost a plan to hand out Mets baseball tickets and gift cards to offenders as the really only incentive for them to show up in court. It's absolutely a joke. And we thank heavens for people like Randy who are here in Arizona to help us. So, hey, if you have a state like New York that is absolutely letting the worst of the worst criminals, people that have weapons. Um, they had a situation just yesterday where two guys from Chile came in, did a uh, crime spree of burglaries all across New York, and they netted $1 million. They signed their ticket, and they got to go home to Chile. They'll never be back. Oh, yeah, they didn't show up for court. Yeah. 
How stupid. This is a joke. This is absolutely a joke, and it fired me up. So yeah, now, it's not even It's not even funny. It's I'm ridiculous. Appalled. However, <laughs> when you start with a stupid politician story, all you have to say is they <laughs> open their mouth, and you're done. Stupid that, politician that, that, is redundant. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they open their mouth, and, and it's every one of them across <sighs> the country right now. I wish you, if I was king of the world, I would just say, for one day, all of you, just shut, shut up. up the fuck up i told you i wasn't <laughs> there gonna, it is. He, cast, I, he did i said i wasn't gonna cuss today but okay. you, brought, you brought up politics i knew it'd fire so you up, buddy. so uh all right the inspirational close this week i did a podcast yesterday and i was very moved it was called finding your summit i was a guest on it and it was a guy named mark pattison played in the nfl for a long time went through a lot of adversity a lot of injuries and he decided to become the first nfl player in history to actually summit all seven summits he has one left he's leaving next month to go to mount everest and i didn't know this you, you hear about it on tv all the time it is two months this journey and this yeah. process and how long he'll be gone however it really got me thinking with my life and everything that i go through what is your Everest? What is your Mount Kilimanjaro? What is one of your seven summits? Your K2. And yes. So identify your summit. It doesn't have to be adversity. It doesn't have to be tragedy. But what are you trying to accomplish? What are your goals? What is your summit? Find your summit and start the climb. Because Love it. I know from experience, the view from the top is one of the most amazing things in the world. Find your summit, identify it, and do not lose sight of continuing on that path straight uphill because when you get to the top it is all completely worth it god Love bless it, all of you darren thank you I, I am forever forever changed and impacted by Lori today this was Man, you both, one of the, the the greatest things ever Me too. uh love you guys and uh we will do it all again next week so god bless and uh be safe Match Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Batch Boys.